afternoon, everyone. My name is Susan Lamarca, and it is my distinct pleasure to welcome you here this afternoon to the first of SLAB's reading forums for 2020, our primary to year eight publisher showcase. I'd like to begin the day by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land, the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation, the traditional owners of the land on which we meet today. I would also like to pay my respects to elders past and present and specifically acknowledge the important role of story in their history and their lives. Today is the first of four reading forums. We have three more events planned for 2020. Our aim is to expose school library staff to great ideas and opportunities surrounding reading and stories and to encourage best practice and discussion. Each event will have a featured topic and involve practitioners in sharing ideas. Each will also have a guest author or illustrator and the kids bookshop in attendance. Today we will be using the hashtag at Slab Reading Forum this afternoon, so please do join in. Once again, we will be recording each of the forums and these recordings will be made into a podcast and be available on our website on open access. Since we began sharing material via podcast in 2018, we've had over 1,500 downloads of our various podcasts with listeners from regional Victoria, interstate and overseas. The audience for these events is definitely beyond these walls and we appreciate the opportunity to share more widely. The Kids Bookshop are our partners in these events. They are here tonight again with a great selection of books and have order forms for all of the titles you will hear about tonight. Please do browse later uh, when you get the opportunity. As you can see from the slide, the program for tonight is very full. We have nine fantastic publishing companies all ready to share with you uh, the titles they have coming out now and into 2020. Each publisher has only five minutes and we are going to stick to the times to ensure everyone gets a fair go. We will be ringing a bell at five minutes and we must move on. I will warn the publisher when they only have one minute remaining. This part of the program will be followed by two wonderful guests. Uh, this afternoon we have Felicia Arena and Lucinda Gifford. They will share with us details about their most recent creations. So to begin, we have Penguin Random House and Kristen. <laughs> I'm kicking off tonight with um, three different picture books from Penguin Random House. Uh, Rocky and Louie, written by Google and Sam Ray, Ray with Casey and Sam Messler, all of all whom we know and love. This beautiful picture book about um, family. It's, a, it's, a, it's about the friendship between two brothers um, and the older brother being a different mentor and being able to. Um, This is um, a comic and a walk, and we always will have a, a walkable 
But then you've got colour, colour, and hope, it's beautiful to look at. Also, I talk about um, uh, interfacing the family and, and um, yeah, where you, where you sit. Some of you will know the LGQ books already, she'll have been to the release. Selling her up, currently out of stock, so I'm sorry if you thought that doesn't have any here tonight. But I wanted to let you know that there are eight of these coming across the year. Um, this, uh, that's out in May, and uh, in true Gus Gordon style, we have another beautiful, beautiful book set in France, in Paris. Um, this is a beautiful picture book uh, about a lovely friendship, Um, 
or even cliches, uh, historical fiction adventures. It's, it's pretty gritty. It's definitely lower secondary, lower middle secondary. I, it's a bit mafia. It's a bit sopranos, but without all the adult stuff. So keep an eye for that. That's a really, really uh, crappy read, and that's what I've got for you. Oh, you're wonderful. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Four minutes. Four minutes. Oh, dear. Uh, Fourth Street. Should just be on the clicker then. Right. Wow. Anyway, Paul Collins uh, published at Fourth Street Publishing. Now, Fourth Street re released this month the complete Little Fur series in their tactile furry bindings. Uh, Isabel Carmi's story is lovely too. The tale of a tiny half elf, half troll, who must save her home from the spirit of the earth, from the force of evil. It's perfect for the 8 to 12 year old readers. But a lot of older readers will want these nostalgia sake or to complete their sets. Okay, uh, the Gamers Trilogy uh, also came out this month. Fourth Street published George Lightmont's uh, first novels in 2009. Tarkin Zyra, a teenage thief, is on a quest in a world of magic and science where dragons and mages exist. Alongside drones and lasers, they endeavour to reach the haven of designers paradise, but their world is not what it appears to be, and their haven is about to come under the threat of destruction. Can Tark and Zyra save designers' paradise and their own world? Let's be able to find out. Next month we have Jump by Andrew Plant. Now Stump, um, Stumpy is a quig, a remarkable little creature living in soaring towers and alien cities. Quigs are there, or acrobats and fearless leaders, but not Stumpy. He is different. He looks different, and most certainly feels different. Mocked and bullied, Stumpy finally decides to take a leap of faith, but has he jumped too far? And in April, we have Scribbly Gum Secrets by Danica Patterson and Megan Ford. Four kids take a walk through the Australian bush as the children discover a world full of natural wonders, brimming with native flora and fauna. Little Charlie's mind is focused on one thing who or what has made those marks on the bark of the Scribbly Gum trees? The art is simply amazing, too. Okay, also in April we have Girls Change the Game. Choose your own adventure style book by Gabriel Glory and Michael Hyde. The first game ever for the school for the 14 girls team. And they're up against the reigning premiers, the Ravens. Will the reader help the Scorpions to their first win or do they bite the dust? It's up to the reader. James Gong, the big hit. I'm being a bit cheeky here. I'm uh, having a book that I've written to publish uh, with another publisher. James Gong is training with his black dog in Taekwondo. One night, a camera crew from Hollywood Productions turns up the training for an episode of My Life, where James performs his jumping skiing sidekick. They decide to star in a supposed uh, Hollywood flick. Trouble is, Hollywood Productions is a scam company basically producing big grade movies, movies to offset huge tax bills for James Gong. Other ideas. Now, Combat Wombat by Gina Newton and Tiffany Daly. Uh, Tiffany's new to illustrating. This is her first book, I believe. Can the wildlife warrior save his bush buddies against all odds? With only his wombat wits, strong claws, and big behind, Combat Wombat faces one obstacle after another, including his cunning foe, Dingo Dingo. Follow our accidental hero on his suspenseful journey of courage, companionship, and hope. Gina, by the way, is um, an aquatic ecologist, zoologist, science communicator, and former president of the Australian uh, Marine Sciences Association. So I think she's put quite a lot of effort into this one. 
And Frizzle and the by Ellie Royce and Andrew McLean, that's a sweet, gently humorous story of changing, expanding, learning by family, told by a child later as they grow from a baby to an eight-year-old. When your family changes, it's a big deal, but with plenty of love to go around, even the biggest changes can be wonderful. Last but not least, oh, oh, what happened? Oh, sorry, Paul. No, it doesn't matter. We don't need it. <laughs> the amazing case of Dr. Wall by Jackie Kerrigan and Tolles who want it. Australia has unique and beautiful plants, but when you peel a banana or buy a pear, when you smell a rose or scrape your knee climbing up an oak tree, do you ever ask yourself the question, how did these plants come to be here? The answer lies in the story of the amazing case of Dr. Wall. I've got a minute to go, but I've only got four lines. <laughs> and we have a dozen more titles by authors and illustrators such as Juliet Sampson, Anne Ryan, Nikki Johnson, Sheree Peters, Andrew Plant, Annie White, Carly Cova, Ian Tabaskis, Katrina, no, Katrina Fisher, and many others. Um, it's going to be a good year for Wall Street. Thanks for your time. Nobles for Willem, 
but it is just a love song to London. It's beautiful, and it recounts this really gentle history of just how you, you would think these people were poor, hungry, whatever. It was a real community, and they said they never felt afraid because of being in the camp out of it. So just, these are just some um, little bits because we're just still putting that one together now. Uh, robots, they're everywhere. They vacuum our floors, they uh, make our cars, they process our food. But, you know, what is a robot? How does it work? When were they invented? When did we first see them? What's been the progression? And what can we expect from them in the future? So that's another one from our award winning author, Charlie Hope. Uh, July, we've got beautiful Flinders. This one's actually called Matthew Flinders. We're all really lovely Flinders in our office. Um, so this, um, as you know, uh, saying it was a dangerous business in the day of Matthew Flinders, and he was the first person to sail completely around Australia in his brilliant maps made it safe for everyone else. But more to the point, this story is packed to the gallows with adventure, storm, shipwrecks, death, danger, exciting ranks to beat the French, and more than anything, his loyalty to his crew, his love of his wife, his love of this funny little cat that he took on his voyages with him. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, another environmental book from Carol Wilkinson called Earth Matters, written with a psychologist who is um, about how to explain issues around global warming to children. I'm just but got to get to this one. Vote for me. Who better to explain our nutty old electoral system than Chris Bacler, who's an educator at the Electoral Commission, and who better to illustrate than the illustrators are not coming up, but Kathy Wilcox, um, political cartoonist. And then I'm just going to go like the covers now. Show me the money, all about money, what is it, why we have it. Um, and of course our beautiful new notes. We've got a book about power and energy. And we've got a book on creative writing um, so kids can flex their creative writing muscle. And last of all, in our Math Smart series, we did all about graphs, which was a huge success. And we had a special request for this one, which is chance and probability. So that's just a little tail taster of what's coming from Wild Dog, and there's so much more. Fairy tales. 
um, is really high quality, usually satisfying um, adventure for uh, upcoming brands. Next up, we've got a new one by the inimitable Rebecca Sen. Um, so she's the award-winning author of Lion and Spy, and when you reach me, it, for those of you who don't know, um, and she's really, really good at discussing really sensitive, delicate topics um, in a really beautiful and sweet way. And she's done it again here. This one is about forgiving yourself for the mistakes that you've made. Um, so he is excited about his dad's marriage uh, to his boyfriend, as well as having a new half-sister. But she's also adapting some big changes and harboring a very big secret about a big mistake that she made last summer. Um, so this was uh, a CPCA notable, uh, ACCPCA, as was announced on Tuesday. Um, so this uh, depicts the life of a young Iraqi um, girl. She's a new migrant to Melbourne, and then she talks about the challenges and the experiences that she's facing um, in the new home, and about it's also about the importance of friendship. Um, so we get some really great feedback from kids who learn so much from reading about uh, the experiences of Jamila, eleven-year-old Jamila. Um, Ingrid Luguna, the author, has taught refugee kids for nearly a decade. Um, and she's also such a great presenter. She does school events. Um, she has a background in performative arts, and so she brings this really wonderful dimension to her learning uh, experiences um, during the sessions. Highly recommend that you invite her to your school. Um, and the companion novel to this is called Sunflower. Um, it talks about Jamila's friend who visits, uh, who arrives from Iraq, and that's in, um, in August. Next up, we have Lizard's Tale uh, by Auckland-based author Wayne Wang Chan. Um, so this is, as it says over there, a World War II spy that is set in Singapore. It's a really great companion novel to the war that saved my life and the war that I finally won. Um, and it talks about World War II in a, from a completely perspective. Um, so Lizard is a Singaporean boy living in the streets of Chinatown. He gets embroiled in some pretty dangerous uh, Japanese secret operations along with his um, strong female, well, <coughs> by two really strong female characters. Um, yeah, that's a really fun one. Um, so this is one of our all-time favorites. It was shortlisted for the Text Prize, which we run every year. Um, should have won, but didn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it also won the Leading Children's Prize. Um, so this is a really gorgeous little grade novel uh, about a young girl who sets out to just investigate the disappearance of the local peacocks, William and Shakespeare. Um, in the process of you know writing this little book that she has about all the clues that she um, discovers, she she really finds out a lot more about the changing tides within her family, um, and in particular about her father who's going through some pretty difficult times. A really sensitive, nuanced depiction of how kids deal with mental health. Yes, that is a read. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, next up, The War That Saved My Life and The War I Finally Won. A lot of people know about this. Uh, really beloved books. There are two books, no more. Uh, teacher librarian favorites, set in World War II during the London Blitz, the children's evacuation in the London Blitz. Really, really fantastic reminiscence of children's classics. Uh, we're a business series for slightly older readers. So, this is a best selling um, fantasy history series featuring a clever, clever young daddy um, bookish uh, girl called Ophelia. Um, who lives in a world that's been just uh, sort of ruptured into different celestial floating islands, um, and her fate changes when she learns that she's been betrothed to a taciturn young man from a neighboring ark um, who wants to use her powers for evil, essentially. Um, and finally, if you haven't heard or haven't read any of the books from this wonderful series, please get onto it. Um, it's for year 79. It's been 
it's really, really popular. It's been sort of implemented across the um, the country, um, and it's really it's a page turning story adventure for fans of John Marsden for a young surfer who uh, goes on a big adventure to save his young Saudi friend who is an asylum seeker from the clutches of the evil brutal wild gang.
and it was set, the title of the series, is written by the Wurrung elder Anakai Nua, and illustrated by Nessie Kennedy, of course, illustrated Welcome to Country and Willem. Um, it's a very tender, thoughtful story, reminding us to respect others and respect ourselves. And this little one is cuteness overload. Baby frogs called tadpoles, but what do we call a goanna, a baby eagle, a baby echidna? So this gorgeous book introduces kids to all their amazing names, hatchling, eaglet, and puddle. Um, so it's a great way for kids to learn all those nouns that describe our iconic, iconic animals. And I've got one more. This is the second book in the Outplay series, also by Anakin Newark, this time illustrated by Jasmine Seymour, the illustrated baby business. Um, and this one is a really gentle story that reminds us of all the things that make up family. So thank you very much. I'm sorry. Thank you, Marianne. Wonderful, as always. Friendship and letting go of the past. 
Um, Julian Negri has worked in libraries for years and just got a really good grasp of what this age group is looking for. Uh, and we're, we're really excited about this. I think it's going to be great for them those classic times of novels like Thomas in that garden and playing Biggie Boat. This one we're so excited about because, as you have seen earlier, Fiona's just been announced uh, on the notables list for Amen Moody in 12 Days. Um, so, this one is set in the same world but follows a different character. So, we're introducing Murphy, who is quiet and shy but kind of has to come out of her shell when uh, some of her songs have been stolen and have been put on by another band. And she realises maybe I can't actually do everything all on my own. Fiona writes these beautiful stories about family and friendship and creativity. And this one's got this charming point of difference in that uh, Murphy's father suffers from depression and she doesn't actually live with him. They have a beautiful relationship and all of this explores in a very light-hearted and charming way how that can look in modern family life and hopefully does a little to help normalise um, mental illness. So Fiona's an amazing talent and we're so excited to see what she does next. Um, the last one I'm going to tell you about is very dear to my heart because I'm a huge fan of both history and magic, and this has plenty of both. Um, Cole's Book Arcade, for those who haven't heard of it, was one of those marvellous Melbourne icons um, and was the biggest bookshop in the world at the time, at least if you believe the owner, E.W. Cole, who was known to exaggerate. Um, um, by the way, it was full of all kinds of wonders. It had um, a little greenhouse and monkeys in it. There was a, a lolly shop, there was an ornament department, um, bands, all kinds of wonderful things. Uh, so David author Amelia Mellor brings to life a magical version of this arcade in a fast-paced adventure story. It follows two of the cold children as they enter a race against time challenge to save the arcane and their father from a dangerous magician. Um, the writing is just this beautiful. Amelia's got such a wonderful turn of phrase. And she, she writes historical fiction in that really effortless way that you never feel like you're struggling to work out where you are or, or like you're, you're getting pulled out of it. She just, it's just seamless. Um, so we're doing this in a beautiful hardback package for October and we think it's going to be a big hit for the Nelson Animal. So that's all for me today. Um, thank you very much for your time. Which is 
from Melbourne Olympic Trail Lehman and Brisbane based illustrators of GPF. Izzy lives on an idyllic childhood on her island with days filled with sandcastles, marine life, freedom and play, and her friendship with her seagull best friend Frank. Um, when Izzy has to leave her island paradise to start school in the dull, grey city with all kinds of rules, she also has to leave Frank behind. This book will resonate with children dealing with change and new starts, beginning school and navigating countries. Beautiful Eggs is our Easter book. We're moving into um, seasonal publishing. Um, beautifully illustrated in cut paper by Melbourne illustrator Alice Lindstrom. This book is a celebration of the traditional art of egg decoration around the world. The text gives a short description um, of the method, symbolism, and origin of the decoration, the name of the egg, um, or the style, uh, with a translation and pronunciation guide. It has a stencil in the back so kids can um, trace and design their own egg, which makes it maybe a bit problematic for libraries, but we hope it's a lovely introduction to artistic cultural traditions. Who's Your Real Mum manages to be both ordinary and fantastical while retaining a deeply heartfelt and important message that will resonate with all non-traditional families. When Nicholas wants to know which of Elgie's two mums is her real mum, she gives him clue after clue, becoming sillier and more fantastical before ultimately making it crystal clear. We like to say that Elgie subscribes to the Ask a Stupid Question, Get a Stupid Answer philosophy. Um, and the illustrations by local artist Anna Zobel bring both the everyday and the fantasy to life um, in her carefully chosen palette. The author, Bernadette Green, dedicates this book to her own girls who know what it's like to be asked who's your real mum. This is how, coming in July, and Maggie is not having a good day. Between difficult shoes, long spaghetti, and teeth falling out, she's ready to explode. And when Maggie begins to have wolfish thoughts, she isn't sure how to let them out. But thanks to Wolf Mum, who's familiar with the feeling, Wolf Girl is able to embrace her anger and let it fall out. It's my favourite line. If I am a girl, Maggie Powell, then I am also a wolf. <laughs> this one's for all those who experience big feelings, and especially girls, knowing that your feelings are valid and temporary, um, and we have permission to embrace our duality and not be defined by them. The author Cat Patrick wrote the Doodle Cat books, and she's based in Glasgow. But Evie Barrow is a Melbourne illustrator, and she's one to watch. Arno and the Horse, also by Jane Godwin, who we just heard about. She is everywhere, and we're lucky to have her. Coming um, in August, um, this is not the final cover, and the title is actually going to be Arno and the Horse. Not, oh no, oh, I'm definitely over it. Bring in a gentle, rolling rhyme, a little like the bush poem. This is the story of Arno, the little wooden toy horse cart for him by his late grandfather. And when Arno loses his horse, he, they search all over for it. He even invokes his grandfather in the dream while recalling the times they spent together. It's a gentle and powerful exploration of family. Grief and the power that objects can hold. Uh, the illustrator Felicia Vassala grew up in Western Australia, but she lives in Rome, um, and has brought the remote WA community to life in studying pastel pastel and watercolour. Um, we're excited in September to bring you an enemy who's not the enemy. We're <laughs> <laughs> the star minister of John Carson, Mark Bonnet, and Harley McKinnon. An enemy is a surprise bad guy of the rock pool. An accidentally seeing the everyone who gets too close. It's a bomb up for an enemy because he just wants a friend. And the clownfish and the curious symbiosis between these two creatures might be just what's needed for the Written and illustrated by Melbourne um, illustrator and I also have a little sneak peek for you. We're very excited to be working on the stunning new book from Davina and 
Allison coming in November. Tomorrow is a brand new day. Is to everyone who has made a mistake, hurt a friend, done something silly or wrong on purpose or by accident. And it's a reassurance that even in these cases, that you are loved, the world won't end, and there are many ways to make amends. Thank you. Hi everyone, I'm Eva Mills, I'm the Children's Publishing Director at Allen and Unwin. Oh, you've got to click on it, yes. Okay. Um, I've just got five highlights from the first part of our year that I'd like to show you today. Um, author Kate Simpson is the great granddaughter of Alice Ross King, a young Anzac nurse who sailed to war in December 1914 and became the most decorated woman in Australia. Using extracts from Alice's actual diaries, this beautifully pitched picture book tells the story of Alice's time abroad in a gentle, really accessible way for upper primary students. The illustrator, Jess Radcliffe, has included documents and photographs from the Australian War Memorial, as well as other material available in the State Library of Victoria, and include personal images from the family's own collection. It's a really stunning combination of color, <coughs> mixed media, and collage. Sister Alice Ross King was awarded the Military Medal, the Associate Royal Red Cross, and the Florence Nightingale Medal. Anzac Girls, The War Diaries of Alice Ross King captures the danger, the heartache, and the history of the young nurse at war. And we are, of course, publishing in time for Anzac Girls this year. I'm sure Emily Rodder needs no introduction to this group. She's one of Australia's most loved and best-selling authors, children, in a career spanning over 30 years. I've wanted to work with Emily for such a long time, so of course I was thrilled when she sent me a pitch-perfect story for newly confident readers about a character named Monty and his animal friend Tawny who live on a magical island where they cope the beach for treasures and use their wits to save their home from some scary pirates. I was even more thrilled, if that's possible, when Australia's nicest illustrator, <laughs> <laughs> agreed to illustrate what has become the Monty's Island Junior Fiction series. Lucinda is incredibly talented and she's brought so much joy and life to the characters of Monty and Tawny and the other heroes and villains of this story. We're really lucky to have Lucy here tonight, and I'm hoping she'll share some of her artwork from the book. Also, we are launching the first book, Scary Mary and the Stripes Bell, this April, but in a very special deal for attendees of tonight's event only, there are early copies for sale in the bookstore. You won't see these books for sale anywhere else for at least a month. The Girl from the Sea is the first collaboration by living legends Margaret Wilde and Jane Tanner since. James Tanner since 1984 when they worked together on the much-loved There's a Sea in My Bedroom, which is still in print today. From the beautiful opening spread, <coughs> this haunting text and atmospheric charcoal illustrations convey the sense that this is a ghost story. But as always with these creators, there are layers of meaning to explore and uncover. Who is the girl from the sea? Perhaps she was lost at sea many years before and has come back to reconnect with a specific place. Perhaps the connection is related to the modern day family's own loss. Or perhaps the story is more metaphoric and relates to a yearning to be seen or the inner child who never leaves us. The rich themes and symbolic imagery will provide much for students, teachers and librarians to discuss. Keep an eye out for this one in May because the artwork is absolutely stunning. We had it all laid out on our boardroom table at work uh, last year and it was just everyone was coming down to the Okay, um, the January starts. Uh, Kate Constable is the author of Crow Country, one of Alice and Unwin's all-time best-selling titles. Crow Country is a perfect example of classic middle fiction, 
what, um, which should be that it's child-focused plot, time-slip adventure and strong themes. So Kate is returning to that readership with this new novel, January Stars, although it features only the slightest hint of magic realism and is much more a contemporary quest than a fantasy. Clancy is 12, a bit shy and retiring in comparison to her outspoken older sister Tash, but the two girls come together to liberate their pa from an aged care facility and take him and his wheelchair on the road trip of a lifetime. Kate Constable is brilliant at family relationships and the three main characters in particular are beautifully drawn. I love the sibling relationship, it's so true to life, and the scenes with Pa are based on Kate's own experiences caring for an older relative. This is full of all the warmth and humour and wonderful messiness of family life. I just want to briefly mention this fantastic resource from Louise Park. Louise has been an author, educator, literacy consultant for Scholastic and ambassador for children at risk. In seven steps to get your child reading, she summarises in a very readable, accessible style the primary <coughs> research around the importance of early literacy to later success in life. It includes hot-button topics such as devices versus books, digital dementia, writing by hand and phonics. This is aimed at time for parents wanting easy steps to inspire their children into a lifelong love of reading, but it also has much to inspire those who work with children in a school setting. And do look out for other great books from Alan and Owen in the handout. June. 
is um, July, I think. Um, so this one, he's obviously the um, author of the Heads and Tails series and Liberty Festival here in Australia and overseas. Uh, Insects last year won in Shanghai the best international picture book of the year with amazing success with him. This one is on shapes and colours. Yeah, that, that, that's the early childhood um, stage where sorting colour and, um, and um, association with colour, those building blocks that are very important for cognitive learning. Okay, so this colour invention has got changed. So, um, so Bunny Girl, she's a Queensland um, author, illustrator, character-driven comic style baby picture book, um, a superhero whose powers her kindness. This is a graphic novel primer for reluctant readers. A feel-good story that will show readers what it takes to be a hero and willingness to help um, in a super costume, of course. But her artwork is really beautiful. So um, there you see our set. This is a board book, search and find book. Um, the Shigeru is from Japan. She, um, it's, it's, and you sort of found, this one is yeah, finding um, objects grouped by alphabet, it's um, following up on colours and animals. Uh, the Wall Street Journal last year uh, nominated colours as one of the best board books of the year because of all the inbuilt layering. Um, Shigeru is also touring in Australia later, later this year. So you can find objects for the interactive with children. We have another book coming out with Shigeru. Um, okay, so it's um, a intro great introduction to vertebrate animals. We use bold colours to optimise it. And it increases in complexity, as we know. <laughs> um, again, a lot of them there. This is um, this is the author that did only in Augustus last year. This is a fantastic story that uh, everybody you know is you know, copying you know, that explores the whole concept of you know just copying the highest form of flattery, because it's really like lovely for a lot of children. It's humorous. It's very sensitive. Thank you. And I'm new to this. Oh, great. Well done. 
author and illustrator. And I haven't always been doing this. I started in 2014, and since then it's been a bit of a wild ride. So before I tell you about making the illustration for Monty's Island, um, I'll just give you a little bit of background. So this is where I'm from. You probably picked up that I'm not Australian. This is a small town called Banks in Aberdeenshire, and this is where I grew up. I spent most of the 70s and 80s in Banks. There wasn't a lot going on, but they did have a library. Very. And it's still there today, and it's still used. I can't remember our primary school having a library, which means it probably didn't, because I spent a lot of time here from about the age of seven or eight. So my routine was, on a Saturday, I get my pocket money, I go up to a sweet shop and fill my pocket with lollies, and then I stop by there and I borrow some books. And then I go home and read them in my bedroom with the lollies. And these are, I mean, I'm not trying to say everybody's journey into books really starts with reading. Um, these are some of the books that inspired my love of reading. Um, they're not all literary. Um, if I was having a bad time, I'd probably go for Asterix the Gaul and um, or the twins, I actually love being with lichens, my guilty pleasure. And um, sometimes I go for something a bit more literary as well. As I got older, <laughs> I ventured into the um, non-children's section, um, which was a little bit embarrassing because the librarian wasn't very discreet and she would announce the books I borrowed. So she'd be like, oh, Virginia Andrews again. Oh, Shirley Bowman. But these are books that my parents would never have had in their house, so I had to go to the library. Now, one of my favourite things about books is maps. Books with maps in them are just fantastic, and I love these maps. And I thought it might be more interesting than a map of all the places I went to on my journey to become an entertaining children's author. Um, so, my journey was a bit like this. I was really interested in writing and drawing. But I didn't ever think it would be possible to actually make books myself. So I studied architecture, and then I moved into advertising and graphic design. And it was only in my 30s, in the, about 2004, that I started coming up with my own ideas. So 10 years after that, I finally had a folio together. And these are some of the pictures from my folio that I sent into the Scooby Conference in 2014. At the same time, I entered my folio in the inaugural Five Mile Press Illustrator Prize, and I won. I also got a lot of feedback from Swibby, and suddenly I found myself with four book contracts. <laughs> so I was still working at this point, and I had two young children, but I said yes to them all. Sorry, publishers, you might not know quite how busy <coughs> I was at that time. Um, and these are some of the books I worked in on, I think, in the next. 12, 15 months. <laughs> so I, um, Arthur and the Curiosity was the result of my illustrator prize. Um, the other two, with a kid standing like this, are both mine from Scholastic. And um, yeah, so it was a difficult start because I was <coughs> hard, but my learning curve was very thick at that point. These are some of the series I've worked on in the last few years. So we've got Chuck Dillon with Walker Books and Princess Peony, written by the lovely Nettie Hilton, and The Cat Wants Custard, which has been quite a successful series of Scholastic. 
Since um, 2018, I've been really lucky to work with Alan and Amin. So the first book that I did with Alan and Amin was Fairy Tales of Feisty Girls, where I was one of the lucky four female illustrators for the fairy tales written by Susanna Carlin. Um, I've then worked on a book that I've written called Duck Duck Moose, which you may have seen. If you've seen it, you'll know there's only three words. So I didn't spend a long time writing it, more so and I've also worked on Sage last year, which has been written by Lydia Williams, um, famous goalkeeper for the Lettles. A lot of fun with Donald, which has been um, lots of fun. Um, certainly like seeing that out and about. So, um, last year in, uh, I think, when was it, April 2019, Eva Mills from Alan and Alan approached me with a great project, <coughs> which was to illustrate Monty Mylant. Didn't look like this at this point. It looked like this. This is Emily Rogers' drawing. <laughs> um, so Emily Rogers, <coughs> otherwise known as uh, Jennifer Rowe, is a brilliant author, as we all know, and she also is really good at constructing worlds, intact worlds. So I don't get this from all authors. As a um, so as someone with a background in architecture, I like things to be structurally sound. And Emily's world was really integrated, well worked out and complete. So as soon as I read the first book, and there are three so far, um, I just could see it all coming together and I was really excited. So of course I executed the contract. I see someone with the contract anyway. So this is Emily's drawing of Monty's Island. And I'll call her Jenny now because it's confusing. Um, and you can see that she's just sort of mapped out what's happening, roughly, where people live. But the actual premise is that Monty is a boy, or a boy-like creature, who lives on this tropical island in a magical sea. And there are animals, there are villains, really villainous villains, quite frightening villains sometimes. And this beautiful tropical setting, which I got to invent, which is just a great gig for an illustrator. So here are some of the first drawings that I sent back as we try to work out this world and get it all to come together so that we have something solid to build on because hopefully there'll be plenty of books in the series. So here's my first drawing of the cafe. A lot happens at the cafe, so it had to be right. Um, you can see there's a tree coming out the top. That's how, um, that's how the islanders signal to each other. They signal what's going to be, you know, what's, going, what's on for breakfast and so on. Now that wasn't quite right. So these are my revisions. And we have, um, the cafe is now entered through the back. And the aesthetics have changed a bit. They're a bit chunkier and a bit more kid friendly. I've even done a floor plan because it all has to work. So finally we had approval and I could get on with the characters. Here is my first drawing, top left from Monty. Now Emily described him as something, I've, a boy, but slightly other. So maybe some scales on the skin or a tail or something a bit hobbity. She also said it would be great if it was easy for children to dress up as Monty for book weeks, which I thought was very clever. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, for this first image, I sort of challenged my own experience of book week, which is grabbing tails and ears and things out of the dress-up box, because that's the easiest thing. So I constructed this Monty, who basically looked like he just 
roll around in a dress-up box and <laughs> go for a walk. He's not really coming together at this point. He also has a pick-up sledge, which is a big part of the story where he picks up things he finds on the beach. He's a bit of a, what would you call it, a beach camper. And also his hut that he lives in, that may feature quite a lot later on, so we have to get that right. At the moment, it's looking a little bit, it's a bit boring, really. I don't know what the one's doing there, just the window. It's a little part of the story, it's a different part of the story. Okay, so this is the new Monty. Now, you see on the left, I'm trying different noses. <laughs> Eva did not like my noses. <laughs> he had a nostril in one of them. I think I might have taken it off. She didn't like, he didn't like the nostril. <laughs> so there he is, and it's still, we can still dress up as him. I reckon I'd find some ears in a bag and a waistcoat, and that would be fine. Also, the pickup sled, Emily told us that it needs wheels on it because it can be adjusted. So I actually had to design it and think about how to get it to physically work on its rails on the bottom and also with wheels. Yeah. And here's a new hut. I think it looks a bit more friendly. Also, she had these, well, these are the kind of columns I have on the top, usually, as we send images to and fro. And the Ardy birds are these wonderful birds that um, bicker with each other morning and night. We had lots of fun demonstrating that. So here are some of the characters. Now, there are pirates in the first book, and pirates are pretty easy. I think I can channel my like, inner pirate to lots of fun. So we've got Scary Mary on the right and some random pirates. And I've also started to design the foliage for the beach. I wanted it to be quite different too. So I looked at seaweeds, exotic seaweeds, and tried to make some of my plants look a little bit, little bit unusual. This is my favorite character. This is Clint the Pirate Parrot. He's actually a really nasty piece of work, but he reminds me of some children that I've encountered. <laughs> <laughs> so the melodrama and the short temper and maybe the, the focus on his own needs is quite, is quite childlike as well. So he's really appealing and he's very appealing to children as well. So, yeah, he is. Now, so Eva sent me the contract and the text just a, you know, in a Word document in April. And in June, I got the first run out. So this is the run out where Alan and I'm going to have decided how they're going to design the book, what the fonts will be. They haven't left any gaps for the pictures. They've just run it out so I get an idea of the feel of the book. So in the olden days, illustrators would probably print this off, cut it out by hand, cut bits of text out and start laying it out and sketching around it. And in the olden days, deadlines were much, much longer than they are now. Um, so I didn't do that. Luckily, I'm quite tech savvy. So I grabbed the font from this, made my own layout in InDesign, and slapped the text into that, following the sort of spacing and font sizes. And that meant that I could start to work out what to put the pictures. So here is one of my first roughs, and in that I have, in reading the text, left gaps and started to draw on it using my Wacom tablet and a digital pencil. Which, I mean, I could, if I could knife my computer, I would do that. It's a massive time saver, and it, um, it just makes everything so much more flexible. So here are some of my roughs. Oh, and they all go striking for most of the book, which is, a, is challenging. 
And so what I'm trying to do here is, it's not really graphic novel level of illustration, but I wanted the illustrations and the text to really work quite closely together and for the reader to really see into the story more. So I've tried to get the illustrations and the text to complement one another. And I sort of done my own brain a bit because Alan and Alan were very kind and said I could decide the amount of illustrations I wanted to do. And I decided about 100 in the end. <laughs> And some of them are a bit more traditional, you know, just an illustration along the bottom, which this is this is my this is early on. Now, in about August, um, I got first pages. So this is uh, you can probably see some of the words are highlighted here. This is actually Alan the Nunley designer has taken my layout and left the same faces and popped my roughs in, which I sent her of JPEGs visually. So the design is really coming along. And a month or so later, probably about October, you can see this is the final design. So it's still quite sketchy, but it's more finessed. And that's, that would be a final spread. I can see now, 27th of October. So I was relaxing by then because I thought, I don't really think they're going to send it to print until 2020. So I've got loads of time. And then we were ready to cover. So <laughs> what happens with the cover is that the graphic designer will do all the lovely job of working out the design and the layout, um, choosing the colors, choosing the fonts, those gorgeous little palm trees down the side, all the little touches. And she's left room for me to add finished color illustrations. So we work together, there's a bit of to and fro. So here's one of my color illustrations, you can see it on the back. And also on the back, can you see bottom left? Um, these are the two covers of the next two books, um, which I haven't started yet. So <laughs> I realized that I had to actually read those books and um, develop characters, extra characters, for the covers. So that was most of December. Oh, and Christmas is coming up as well. <laughs> so here they are. These are the covers of the next two books. I'm currently working on Beady Bold and the Young Ones, so I've just done all the roughs for that. And you can see the bottom of these, there are these um, carnivorous yams. They're actually really scary. <laughs> They're a big part of the book, so I had loads of fun drawing them. And in the next one, we've got this really cute little character called a baby horrible. And I'm going to end with that. <laughs> <laughs> He is the author and creator of many popular and award-winning children's books for all ages, including the historical adventure uh, series The Boy and the Spy, uh, Fearless Frederick and The Great Escape, the best-selling, best Speaking with Eddie Books, and the popular Andy Roy and Sporty Kids series. This afternoon, Felicia is going to share with us his new series, The Besties. Welcome. Yeah, 
teachers that have come up to me now, that first generation of senior here readers are 26, 27, 28 year olds. <laughs> who, and I know there are a couple of you here today. Who have come up to me and there was one teacher at the school only a week or two weeks ago and said, oh, you came to my last school. I said, oh, I did I? Know. I said, where did you teach last week? She said, no, no, I was in grade five. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm teaching grade five and the teacher's Look, it's, it's jarring, but it's also really lovely. I'm just really, really grateful. At this stage of my career, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful just to be here, to be able to stand in front of you and to say thank you to all of you for keeping and putting these books in the hands of kids who might not be able to read, you know, and using my books as stepping stones to other, other authors as well. So, speaking's taking a lot of time. When it ends up on game shows, <laughs> you have no control and you have friends calling you saying it's just on who wants to be a millionaire or who no deal, it's, it's, it's out of your hands. And I'm happy that generations are still starting to discover it. As you know, I love visiting schools. I don't think I could be a children's author, especially in Australia, if I didn't have this element to it. I would say, in my, let's say there are authors among us here today, it's a weird existence. Either you're a hermit and you live in your own head, or you're a showman and you do stuff like this. There's nothing in between. So today I was just staring at my computer, knowing I had to come to this today, but I just really couldn't focus. But I was in my own little world, and then all of a sudden I'm in front of an audience again. But I do love this. I love performing. I love bringing my characters to life. I move a lot. I we role play. I trialed speaking with by the way, for a year before it was published. I was writing out, I do this a lot with my writing. I want to see the reaction of kids, I want their interaction, their feedback, this is where I get it from. And I want them to get excited by storytelling. And usually there is a lot of movement. This is really rare for me, and I feel really uncomfortable standing behind the lectern. Usually for the ones who know me, I'm running up and down, jumping up and down. So that's what I do. I've been doing this for now 20 years. Uh, I started out. We've booked out agencies starting to drive where no one really knew who I was or was taking me. But I, was, I only had one book out at the time. There was two books that were published in England, or first published in England, for the ones who don't know. Um, I want to put this photo because last year the reading conference, there's a celebrate reading in Fremantle every year at the Literature Centre. This is a real turning point for me. I thought this was really a lovely moment. And if you have a chance to go and spend a couple of days, I know it's a long way in Western Australia to find the money, but I got to, this was new for me because usually I book to speak to kids, but to, to spend two full days with teacher libraries, two full days, where we got to unpack why we write, why we create for children, why we like to, to tell our stories, and to have a good time with teacher libraries. I mean, they're a wild bunch. But really, just to get feedback from them was really wonderful. And this, they're the small authors you know, and some of the publishers you know who have published them as well. And they're all really wonderful. Uh, Stephen Michael King and, and Sean Tan and, and Lisa Shanahan. Uh, we, all, we all really bonded for two whole days. Usually when you're invited to a festival, you only get an hour, and that's about it. You only get to see other authors speak. We got to see each other speak and hear. It was like public therapy. Anyway, so. Going back, Lucinda said, your journey, this was my journey. I don't, I'm not sure a lot of you know this. I know if I'm repeating myself for the ones who know, I'm sorry for the ones who know. My parents, Italian parents, both, that's a common story, Southern Italy, a lot of Italians and Greeks all came out in the 50s, 60s. My parents did the same thing. 
Uh, Dad was a boat person, he was, there he is with the life jacket and the little there, uh, came out. Um, I was, grew up in the 70s in country Victoria, northeast of Victoria, Tyburn. This looks like any Italian little log family in the 70s. And I say that effectively, of course. Um, I'm not sure what I'm doing with the ABC pants there, but um, my journey to books, there are no books in this, these images. Have a look at the books. Are there any books? There's plenty of eating, let me tell you. There's plenty of eating, plenty of drinking. More eating, more drinking, but where are the books? Where are the books? Um, we all actually, if you look at that photo, I had a, they're all, it's all alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. um, then there's always that book angel, right? That book person in your life. It might be a teacher, library, but we all know that someone, right? For me, it was my auntie Helen. She was only a few years older than me on board there, all right? But then she was a few years older, and she was the only reader in the family. My parents were they were immigrants. Um, but they love storytelling, and like a lot of Italian families, it's storytelling, classic old school storytelling <laughs> over the dinner table. But for reading, my auntie Helen, she had she had more and more books, and it was like a magical place. I used to love sneaking into her room when she wasn't there and just going through all her books. And just seeing her, she wasn't overt about her reading, she just always had a book in her hand. And she was that book angel, someone who I mean, kids need to see us, don't they? They need to see us holding our books, loving our books, um, um, celebrating books. And for me, Helen was the one. She turned out to be the ducks of the school. She was incredibly intelligent. She suffered then with um, mental illness later on in life, and she's never re regained or gone back to that. But I'm always indebted to her. She was my book angel. I also made that connection when I was younger, in grade one, Scholastic book fairs would come to a small country town. We didn't have a lot of libraries in our town. And I was excited. I was going to buy my very first book. I was six years old. And that's what they used to look like, the coloured versions. And I had to wait. And growing up in the 70s, most, uh, some of you might remember, it was compulsory to have one of these. And I was asked, what was your first real connection to books? One of your first lovely memories of books? This is, this is it. The library bag, the <laughs> spring library bag. And my grandmother, bless Rescue Dixon on the Nina, not sure what she's doing there with a rolling pin, she's probably saying you better read or else. But she was a part of that really nice memory for me. I remember her clearly sewing my library bag. I was so excited. I was so excited to have my library bag. Go back to school, I finally the scholastic books arrived. This was the first book I bought. <laughs> so now I'm showing my age. Okay. But I was drawn to it growing up in the country. This book was like a mirror book. It reflected my world. I lived opposite a former park in Cairo. There were plenty of kangaroos and emus. Not a lot of bunnies, but plenty of kangaroos and emus. This reflected my world as a six-year-old and I loved it. These were some of my childhood books and I was seen to show hers as well. And I know some of you grew up with these as, as well. Uh, for me, again, growing up there wasn't a lot of books set in Australia. So when Stormboy hit, it was like, oh, this is my world. I can understand, you know, there's stories set in America and the UK, but here's Stormboy, this is my backyard. And I always wanted my own as the first one. <laughs> and except for my brother and I used to we went looking for pelicans after <laughs> this. Of course, um, Hardy Boys, Asterix, uh, these books informed my writing. Not that I knew that at the time. This is what my teen years look like. Again, it's all centered around swimming clubs. Growing up in this country town in Australia, I was a swimmer. I used to swim, um, uh, champ, uh, champion swimmer, state swimmer. I used to swim in the irrigation channel. 
only a friend recently. <laughs> yeah, I used to, that's the story in itself. I used to train in an irrigation channel. And I made it to all the way to Batman Avenue swimming pool. They used to be the Batman Avenue swimming pool. And I was representing, representing the country. I'm up against Nolan Brown and Scotch Collins, all the private schools, and me. Hi, hi. Swimming I did, the publisher said I should write this story. And I actually have been thinking about um, it's my rocky story. Anyway, so throughout, throughout the, I was writing, little did I know, I was writing characters in my, my friend of mine, Irene Hardwick, she said, you used to write in my journals and the school books and you used to do cartoons and write little stories about us. And she said, I can see where that link is now for you. But for you, you it sport dominated for me during, for most kids growing up in country Australia. I then made my way, I wanted to be an actor, I wasn't sure how to do it, but I ended up sort of being an actor, I ended up being a teacher. Uh, I ended up teaching La Trobe University at uh, Bingo Teachers College. And throughout this period, the, the fond memories I have about teaching, of course, and I think many of us here, I love my teaching rounds, I love reading to the class. I was only a teacher for a year, I was an emergency teacher. Usually they put me to go and teach in five and sixes, and I loved when I got to read chapter books to my classes. Some of the books I worked on, or worked at the time, and I was drawing in behind the scenes and writing my own little stories, but at that time, when you're in your 20s, ego takes over, and you think, well, I'm gonna be an actor. And this is my first, I got an agent, this was when I was an extra on, my first one was an extra on uh, Medical Snow River, I was sick report, thought man. I was so excited. But this was my first paid national ad, I was on my way up. I wonder if you might remember, no one's seen this, I only discovered this the other day, I wonder if you just have a little bit of fun at the end of the day. You might remember, remember this ad, don't think you're missing. <laughs> Quietly writing behind the scenes. This was the quiet, quiet flinch. This was the show flinch, as I like to say. Um, I found myself then on oh, Neighbours. Uh, it soon came in early May, and I know people have heard this story, but it's, it keeps coming back to me. This was a huge time. I say to the kids, back then, before YouTube and social media, we only had three channels, four <laughs> channels, and this was the biggest thing <laughs> on TV. We were all bored, and we used to watch Home and Away and Neighbours. These were, uh, this is my character, Marco, let's see this, is, you can see my mum and dad, Alfred Valentine from Prisoner, uh, George from Play School, Natalie Julia. I haven't showed this next scene to anyone. <laughs> mum has a little VHS tape, so I found it the other day. I'm gonna share this with you. My Logie Award winning scene. It's <laughs> Natalie Training ground, 
And then I made my way over to England as everyone did on Open Way. They just talked to Tristan Banks. It's weird. The ones who know Tristan Banks, we have this parallel universe. He was in Home and Away while I was down in Melbourne and he was in Sunbane. At the same time, we ended up in the UK and writing. Behind the scenes, I was still writing. I ended up in the West End Theatre doing shows like Hair and God's Spell. And I thought, this is it. I'm going to, in my 20s, I'm going to, this is where I want to go. But behind the scenes, my downtime, I was writing. And I wrote this story. I wasn't sure. I shared this with kids as well. I wasn't sure where to start. I just wrote a page a day. I was missing a story of filming in Saudi about a swimmer <laughs> in Australia. I took it to this guy with the epic eyebrows, a literary agent. Uh, he read the book. He said, I only represent authors who write for adults but not for kids. But I'm going to make an exception. I'm taking you on and I'm taking this person on at the same time. I know some of you know this story, but this is like a sliding doors moment. <laughs> so we took on this person. <laughs> He shared this, he took this on, and he, he sent off Harry Potter, sent off Felicity for Life, Sabrina's double And they came back, and the first publishers, I won't say who you are, from, the publishers came back and said, We're going to get Felicity on a two book deal. We love his book, but unfortunately, we have to pass on Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I shared this with kids, and they go, Oh my God, oh my God. I said, Well, why? I, I said, I share that with them because I heard it's great for adults at a dinner party to share the story in sliding door moments. We all have them in our lives. But for kids, I say, look, I share this because sometimes, and it doesn't happen often, a child might come up to me and say, hey, Bleach, I really like your presentation, but I've got to be honest, I'm not into books. And my response usually is, hang on, don't be too hasty. You don't make any declaration yet. You just haven't connected with the right book. Yeah, you just haven't found that right book, and that's your, and this is why it just kills me that you're here when, uh, uh, at school said we're not having a teacher library. Well, who's going to connect those kids to those books if it's not us, you know? And I feel now, this is, this stage of my career, I feel like I'm, I'm working with you guys, and vice versa. Like, how do we connect, how do we keep this connection going? How do we keep books alive? So it could be about a wizard. You could find a book about a kid who likes to say speaking marks or someone likes to swim. Anyway, Harry Potter went off to be the beast. But in that first year, it wasn't the beast as we know it. When it was published that first year, Dog and Boy Blues on a few lists with Harry Potter. It wasn't until the Americans got hold of it, Warner Brothers, the year after, that it exploded. Because mm -hmm. I remember having family, friends in New Jersey calling me saying, you heard of Harry Potter? And I said, yeah, it's been around for about a year or so. Why? And you can see it just explode. And it's wonderful for children's books all right around the world. I'm going to quickly go, quickly go through this because I'm going to get to besties. This is the first author I've ever met. And he's one of my heroes, Michael Ricardo. The day my book was first published, that Dr. Blue book, it was published by HarperCollins UK. And um, they had a launch, but they didn't have a launch. I didn't have a launch, I was performing, but I took, let the understudy along, and I went to Michael Ricardo's launch of Butterfly Line. So it was sort of my launch of Dolphin Boy Blue, and he was so gracious, he came up and said, I understand you have your very first book published today, um, 25 years next year. And he said, um, I, I hope this is the first of many, 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 and thank you for coming to my launch. Please use it as your launch as well. So I've looked up to him. So when people say, who are your favourite authors? This, this guy here as well. I went to see Warhorse recently. Did you see the latest Warhorse production? Well, okay, quickly, right, I'm going to go sit through. Thank you for, this was a different path. When you're doing something for so long, you want to evolve, it doesn't matter if you're writing, you're teaching, you want to try new things, explore new horizons. For me, I really wanted to take all that action that Luke and I wrote into my storybooks, and people knew me for my storybooks. 
if you follow me on um, social media, you know that I love history and art and travel. And I know many of you have got me in contact with me via social media and become friends on social media, which is really fantastic. That's one of the good things about social media. And you know that I have this element to me. I want to put, explore historical fiction, put that action in the movement. So the first one was The Boy and the Spy, set in Sicily, 1942, a World War II story. The second one, Felix Frederick, said in 1910, when Paris was underwater for two whole months. I didn't know this had happened. It looked like Venice for two whole months. I thought that was like for a great thing. And the latest one, a great escape, said in Wilming in 1961, when the wall on the far goes up, and a boy is separated from his parents from the west, and he's in the east. I wasn't sure, just quickly, I wasn't sure if I should write the Berlin story because it's been well documented. It's still modern history for many of us. World War II, Felix Frederick, People have long gone, but for Berlin, they're still around. But I took this as a sign. I lived just down the road in the park block, just off St. Kilda Road, and my neighbour is 80 years old, he's German. And he said to me, he said, uh, Felicia, what are you writing these days? I said, you know what, Peter, I'm thinking of writing a book. He said, Berlin, 1961, a boy separated from his family. And he said, oh, you know I'm from Berlin. And I didn't. I knew German because of his accent, and he walked his dog, Otto. Otto doesn't have an accent. But, um, <laughs> and, and he said, and this is where it got me. He said, and I, he said, I'm also, I was also a guard on the wall. I said, okay, the God, the writing gods have sent, sent me, I sent you to me, I used him as a resource. It was wonderful enough on his way, asking what was it like to point out someone, did you have to do that? What was the what was the atmosphere like? Yesterday it was um it was long listed as an open book for CBCA, which is a really nice it was a nice feeling. I really I love doing research for this book, so it's nice to be acknowledged in that way. Um, going to quickly go through sporty kids. Came, I usually talk a uh, book to talk to older kids, the middle grade kids, grade three, the year six, and year seven sometimes. To speak to preps to the twos, if you're a prep one, two teacher, I'm not worthy. Hats off. I'm not worthy. These kids are hilarious. They're so funny. I love. They're so funny to go and talk to. I always say that. Um, if you go and visit, you, it feels like you're being invited to a cocktail party if you're teaching 100 <laughs> great or five-year-olds and you're the only one who's not drinking. Because <laughs> you're sort of like growling kittens, right? You're going to keep them in and they're so random, like, um, oh, I've got a cat. That's, that's lovely, but we're not talking about cats. <laughs> and they go. Uh, sporty Kids was fun to introduce that. Of course, I know Sporty Kids. I got to use... Um, uh, I don't know why it's moving that, pretty cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did that. That was really cool. Anyway, uh, this was interesting because I didn't want to make it just one gender. Uh, they're mixed boys and girls at that age, it doesn't really matter. It's about the story, and, um, and I don't think it should matter. I bring play, I talked about this recently, about bringing play into the importance of play and using imagination, music and art in my presentations, but using that in teaching, and I know it's it's easy for me as an author who just comes and visits you for an hour and then leaves you. As a teacher, you swamp with paperwork and so much red tape and, and it's, it's, it's outcome-based results and you, you've got to stick to a curriculum and get that. But trying to bring a little bit of play and storytelling has helped. This was at um, Sydney Writers Festival a few years ago. I only had like five minutes. They said, you only have five minutes to talk about sporty kids and I'd run out of time. I said, I have to introduce play or dance. And I talked about the swimming sporty kids. I said, let's all get up and do the swimming kids. <laughs>
I use a lot of, lot of movement in my presentations. A teacher came up to me and said this, only last week, she said, kinesthetic learning, I love how you do this. I love it. I then use that for my reading circle groups. Movement bringing the characters to life. I said, why do you think kids are on TikTok at the moment? I know we, we, we berate social media, we do, and there's a lot of bad things about it. But with TikTok, I'm not sure if you know what this is. This is like the new app. There's Instagram and then there's Facebook. And now TikTok, this is where kids are at the moment. TikTok, they're on their own Instagram. They're using kinesthetic learning. Little do they know they're doing this. But there are all these dance challenges, hashtag dance challenges. These kids are amazing. They're learning all these sets of movements. Yes, they want to become famous, whatever that means, to, to connect to other kids. But in terms of educators using kinesthetic learning, they're up for it. You've got to lean into it a little more. So sometimes I do feel like a bit of a goose when I'm jumping up and down and trying to take slow motion speckies. But I know I've only got 50, 50 minutes or an hour to grab their attention and to bring them back to books so they can remember when they get home and tell their parents and they say, well, who'd you have to? Oh, we had this guy who he danced, he, he taught us a swimming dance and we took this slow motion speckie. But it's connected to the books and we're taking these books out of the library. And that's what I want, that's what I do, that's why I do it. Um, okay, besties. These are the besties. They've just come out. I have to work with Tom Jell and the Sporty Kids. I listened to the great one or two teachers when I was going to visit these they're just younger classes. They said, we love the Sporty Kids, could you give us another series? So this is my response. I wanted besties. And I wanted to draw up all of my, my experience from, the, from my theatre days, from dancing to music to art, and include it in besties. Uh, Ruby loves to play ukulele, she's quite precocious. Uh, Oliver is a little more reserved, he loves to draw. Uh, Tom has done a wonderful job again with the illustrations. There's a nice balance between text and illustrations. Uh, at the back of the books, there's, there's a lot of this end matter where you get, kids get to see uh, Ollie's comics at the back. I also, while I was writing the lyrics for Ruby, ukulele play, she sings songs and makes up songs. I started writing these songs, or lyrics, and I sent them to my uh, museum mates in the UK, and, little, and before I knew it, they came back with rough recordings and analogies of the songs. I thought, wouldn't it be cool to enhance the reading experience, put chords in the back of the kids who know how to play, and if they have older brothers and sisters who can play, they can play the chords. Or go to thebestiesworld.com and listen to the songs there. So they can cross platforms, they read the book, they, they want to draw like Ollie, or they might want to play or sing along or dance to, to, the, to the books. These were my besties in Edinburgh, in the UK. And so if you can imagine three middle-aged men without a ukulele's trying to sing and put this album. We were really quite uh, uh, proud of this, and it's been a lot of fun. We got my friends out there, kids involved singing in the background. I'll quickly go through it. And this was me and David, who gave a wonderful endorsement the other day. And um, get all of the music for each of the songs, and then there is jokes. So that is really fantastic. There is so many different text types in the one book. As a teacher, I absolutely love that. And in this second one here, so we'll get through that. This is the bestiesworld.com, and I'm resting against time. And finally, we're stopped, and I'll, talk, I'll just let you listen to. We all have a sing along this. This was from the first book, uh, Besties to the Rescue. They say the little bird, a fledgling. <coughs> There's not a huge jeopardy in this, but it's, 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 it's everyday adventures. I didn't want a, a heavy plot lines. I wanted everyday adventures at school, in their backyard. 
Um, and I'm making another hamburger. So they tried to say this word. This was a song that uh, Ruby had uh, sung in the middle of it, in the middle of the story. <laughs> By the way, I got to trial this out last week with 300 great ones. So I got them all standing up. And I'm going to show you now because this is what I do when I go through this bit. Thank you.